Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 84. This week's feature, if you like Munchkin, try out these games. We'll be talking about Creative Clash, The Voyages of Marco Polo, and Nevermore at our table this week. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. Welcome to the table, everybody. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. This week's feature, we're going to talk about everything Munchkin and what brand new games that are out there that take Munchkin's mechanics to the next level. So before we get into all of that, we wanted to bring you up to date on our Cool Stuff Inc. contest. Now, we've been talking about this for the last four weeks, and in particular, we've been giving you a number of different chances on how to win the $50 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. and then be entered into the Cool Stuff Inc. Dice Tower Network $500 gift certificate challenge. Now, one winner from our podcast will go on into that contest and hopefully win it all. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about a number of different ways to get entries into the contest, and this week is no different. But we have a different way to get a new entry and to connect with BGA. This week, we want you to join our guild on Board Game Geek. Now, if you take a look at episode 84 on BoardGamersAnonymous.com, there is information on how to get that entry. Now, joining the guild is just the start. You'll find some additional things that you have to do in the guild to get that entry which will be the last entry for the contest so if you haven't gotten a chance to get in the contest this is a great time to do so and if you took advantage of all of those other times here's one last more chance to kind of stuff that ballot box win the fifty dollars win the five hundred dollars and represent bga in the dice tower network shout it from the tabletops Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. All right, for the news this week, we wanted to bring you Origin Awards. Now, if you remember a couple episodes back, we talked about the recent Origin Awards, how they made no sense, even though we do like the games that they pick, just not in those type of categories. This week, we have some new information about the Origin Awards that we really want you to pay attention to. Anthony, take it away. Yeah, so the Origins Awards are interesting i think we can all agree that they were a little wonky especially compared to the other awards that came out in that same time period so it was interesting when this headline popped up that the academy of adventure gaming arts and design which i guess is the group that does the origins award is streamlining the awards for next year and that by itself sounds great doesn't mean that the game the awards are going to be any better in terms of which games get selected we'll see next year but they are streamlining all those crazy categories because in previous years if you actually looked at the list of awards and nominees there was all these subcategories within these categories and all these different ways that it was broken down it didn't really make a lot of sense moving forward it's been broken down into board games card games collectibles role-playing games family games game accessories and miniatures which is 
kind of all the categories of our hobby, which is kind of how it should be. So hopefully with the smaller pool of nominees that they draw from, that means we'll have a little bit better option to, you know, hopefully pick something that's a good representation of the hobby out of this uh, event. And we'll see on the other categories as well. We don't have like the 19 miniatures categories like we have in years past. (laughs) We'll have the one. So we'll see. I don't know if you guys think it's going to get any better. I don't know if I do either. But board game awards, they're, they're evolving. I think they need to. This is one of them. Well, they're getting a lot more attention than they ever did before, especially as the hobby continues to grow. So I'm glad that they're, I guess, detaching their awards in comparison to last year. What was it? The Family Party Children's Game was one of the categories. Those three kind of, you know, categories kind of squished into one category. And the possibilities to win that was like... Gravwell Archer Kids Game. Boy, and Red Origins has historically been a very strange award show with way too many adjectives <laughs> and really unclear categories. So hopefully this uh, realignment will bring them so that they can be a better picture of how the hobby actually is. Yeah, it, it was confusing. I mean, anytime you have a category that has Archer, which is arguably just not a good game, in the first place, let alone a family game, which it is not. And Gravwell, which is a great game, but again, is it a family game? Is it a party game? Is not it a sure. child's game? It's. I don't know if it fits any of those. How does that category even exist? Like, what is that? I don't think we need to keep ranting on the Origins Awards. We've done that plenty, but <laughs> this is... Uh, it's a good thing. Anytime they, they're aware that there's a problem, they're revising, they're updating. So sure. we'll see what happens next year. And now, our Acquisition Disorders... Acquisition disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game and the expansion and the promos and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. All right, so we're going to talk about our acquisition disorders this week. These are games that are not out yet, but games that we really want to have. So, Daniel, why don't you start us off this week? Last week, I talked about how I had gotten into Doomtown Reloaded and how I was really finding that that game was very expansive and very enjoyable. And just listen to last week if you want to hear the whole thing. Uh, But it's really a wonderful game with so much to offer. And at the present, I only have one core set and two saddlebags, which are their little expansions. But there is a ton more stuff Doomtown to own. And the deeper I, I wade into these waters the more desperately I desire to have all that which I am lacking. Uh, So my acquisition disorder right now could just be the rest of Doomtown. I want everything I don't... I have, and I really, really want one of those special edition boxes that are... I think they're made out of pine wood, and they have a brand burned name in them. They're beautiful. You get wooden uh, faction tiles and everything. I, I would be extremely happy if i could get my hands on one of those so uh, that's my acquisition disorder for this week okay everything doomtown i see that (laughs) there is something eminently addictive about all of these like growing card games i'm with you like i have i actually need to get rid of some of my card games because you get the acquisition disorder for a game you don't even play just because you're like well i need i need the expansions (laughs) because how would i build a deck if i don't have all the expansions I'm going to build the deck, even though I don't play the game. I know, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly there with you. You know, I keep thinking about these uh, expandable card games as though they're going to be somehow better than the CCG addictions I had when I was younger. Right? Oh, it won't. 
I won't have to spend like twenty dollars a week or whatever. That I'm I'm going to spend way more in the long run. I think this is <laughs> this is going to be bad. Yeah, especially when you're trying to catch up. Like technically, oh, yeah. you, you'd spend like fifteen bucks a month if you were caught up. But if you're behind, which most people are, because you don't buy it right when it comes out, and you're like, oh well, I'm eight months behind. That's two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right right now, that's really what's standing in the way between me and having two of everything in Doomtown is they just there's a lot of stuff out there and that means scratching a lot of money together that I don't really have right now. So I just stare wistfully at the beautiful wooden box edition and dream of the one day that maybe uh, and oh god that special edition you guys it's one of the most beautiful special edition boxes I've seen in a long time. Anthony what about you this week? All right, so I've been trolling the uh, list of stuff that's coming up at Essen this year, uh, which we'll talk about in a few weeks in terms of all the stuff we want from Essen that we can't have because we're not going to Essen. But one in particular that jumped out at me that hopefully will be out sometime next year, hopefully even sooner, is the first expansion for Russian railroads, German railroads. Because, of course, you need German railroads. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a board game. So this one, it's the first expansion, again, and when we reviewed Russian Railroads last year, I love this game. It's it's such a fun game, and I love the snowballing giant point dump truck you get in this game. But to, I believe, Chris's point, the game has an issue where when you're playing it, there's not a lot of variability. I don't think there's really much of any variability. So after playing it, even just a handful of times it becomes pretty evident pretty quickly like there are some best actions to take which if you've played a lot and especially if you're playing with a lot of other people who've played a lot it it can be frustrating because you're like well i know what i'm supposed to do and then where are the interesting decisions what german railroads does which is what this game needs is it adds a new board for germany and the new routes are Basically, the distances aren't fixed, so there are a lot of new options that are open, and it changes the flow of the game. Whereas the original game, the Russian board, the distances are all fixed. So you're going a certain amount of space, you know where you want to get based on your strategy, and that's that. There are three modules in this, so that's the first one. The second module is the Coal Age. So it's a new uh, mechanic, basically, with a coal resource, and the coal can be used to improve the locomotives and the factories, And you can use it in foundries. So basically, it's just this new uh, mechanism that allows you to upgrade various different parts of your machine. So people are getting new options that they can use to kind of implement and change how the the game works for them based on, you know, what they want to get out of it. The third module, which I'm super excited for, is a single ticket. And this is a solo version for the game. Um, It creates a dummy opponent that will occupy different spots in the board and try to stop you which I find interesting because this game has no real competition or combat, or it's not very adversarial when you're playing with real live players. So the fact that the solo game is a little more adversarial is interesting, but it's adding a solo element to a worker placement game and a game that I really like. So uh, that's very exciting. It's one of those rare multi-module expansions where I'm interested in all of the modules. So I'm very excited to see this one when it comes out. Yeah, sounds great. So my acquisition disorder this week is CV-lations. Now, we talked about previously CV, the dice game, and its recent expansion. Now, unfortunately, this game hasn't had wide U.S. release. So you may have not seen this in the store yet. It's popped up in a couple of online stores and popped out almost immediately. You can find it in Europe, but 
with the cost of shipping, it, you know, it becomes really cost prohibitive. So I personally haven't gotten a chance to get this game to the table yet, and I had really wanted to do so because in my non-gaming life, writing CVs, writing resumes is part of my work. And it's interesting to me about how someone builds their lives and the choices that they make. So this is a light, somewhat cartoony version of it. And in the dice game, CV, you're basically rolling dice and trying to collect sets in order to activate cards. And based upon those cards, your life kind of unfolds. In this version, you're going to play more of a little bit, I guess, as a board game, even though it's still a card game. But you're building up a civilization by playing different cards in order to discover and invent different tools and buildings and ideologies. So it is a civ building game on a really, really light kind of... I guess Munchkin-esque type of way, since we're talking about Munchkin this week. So it's an action selection game, and basically you're choosing cards, which cards to play. There's certain strengths and weaknesses to those cards, and players are developing resources and ideas. And in the end, just like everything else, whoever collects the most happiness wins the game. I like the artwork, I like the idea, I like the theme of this game, and I really would like to get this out with the family, but it still hasn't gotten to the U.S. yet. Really hoping to get this game to the table really soon. And now, At the Table with BGA. This week at our At the Table, we're going to talk about three games that we were able to play together and let you know... If the game is outstanding, if it should be part of your collection, then we're going to tell you that game is a buy. If the game is good, if it deserved the table time that it had, we're going to say that the game is worth the play and that maybe you want to come back to it in the future. Now, if the game was just not for you, there are better games in that genre, better games with different mechanics that might really work better for you, then we're going to say that game is a dodge. And if, God forbid... The game was a complete waste of time. It didn't do anything right. It actually hurts the industry more than helped the industry. We're going to tell you that that game is a burn. So for our table this week, we got three games. And Daniel, why don't you start us off this week? My at the table this week is actually our at the table this week. So all of us got together and we got to play Smirk and Dagger's new casual style card drafting game called Nevermore. Now, Nevermore is a very quick to learn game, but it's got a lot of strategic depth. And part of this comes from the way that drafting is handled, which is first you pass three cards to the left or right, whichever way the passing is going, then two, and then one. Uh, and in doing that, it makes it harder for you to predict exactly what your uh, the person you're passing to is going to be given, right? So if I passed off some attack cards because I didn't feel like attacking this turn and I was trying to build up some victory points in my hand and then the person passing to me passes me more attack cards, well, I've got a choice now. I can either give up on my quest for the victory points and pass those along or I can continue passing the attack cards knowing that there is a chance that I am feeding my opponent an incredibly powerful hand. Because for every suit of cards in Nevermore, and there are five suits, five of a kind is the best hand. Uh, in fact, one of the things that Kurt pointed out to us when we got this is one of the inspirations here is to think of a card drafting hand where there's not just one best hand, but there are five best hands. Now, there is probably, though, an actual best hand. 
uh, and that's five-of-a-kind ravens. Now, this sort of balances because ravens are a risky card. Uh, ravens are risky because every raven in your hand will destroy a non-raven card in your hand when it comes to the resolution phase, meaning you won't get any benefit from them. But if you get five ravens, you get what's called a conspiracy of raven. And at that point, you are going to do damage to everyone else. You are going to gain a victory point, And you're going to get to draw a shadow magic card, which will provide various effects later in the game. It's probably the most powerful hand in the game but not by much so it's not very unsettling and the fact that there's such a risk component to it uh, means that it's not going to be a dominant strategy if you just go for the conspiracy of ravens every turn you're not going to get very far probably Uh, nevermore is again very quick to learn and very deep play the art is beautiful while very simple and iconic it is still thematic and beautiful uh you guys what did you think when we first pulled it out of the box and we mentioned that it was kind of like a trick-taking game, I was like, ugh, another one. <laughs> but honestly, like, as far as, you know, it's comparisons to other trick-taking games, it's it's a trick-taking game in the sense that there are suits of which you want to win, but that's really it because everything else that goes into this is so strategic and there are so many different ways to mitigate the way the game plays. The dark and light magic cards can have significant impact on the game and allow you to mitigate the drafting, the cards other people play, the damage you take, the victory points other people get, the health that people get. There's a card pretty much for anything. And if you get those cards and use them at the right time, you can really control the game in some very interesting ways. At the same time, the trick-taking elements, as you said, there's five best hands. So you don't care that someone else got all the health because you got all the swords and you're going to smack somebody with those swords. It's a very interesting game in that way. I don't think I've played anything like it, and I would not compare it to many other trick-taking games, especially because I like it. So, <laughs> <laughs> What I really enjoyed about the game was the activation tokens that are hidden and then shuffled. So you're not sure what activates first unless you play a certain card that allows you to see or allows you to flip those tokens over. So even if you have a great hand, it may not actually play out well for you because... Maybe maybe healing happens and then swords gets played. So you're not able to heal the damage because of the way that order kind of played out. Or when do you play the raven cards? Because the raven cards are going to diminish the cards that you have of that set. And which raven cards do you play? Because if you're going to play the raven cards to take out the swords, maybe you need them for the hearts. Or maybe you need them for the victory points. And when people put their cards out, they can kind of bluff how many cards are going out there. So it's possible that you go for those victory point cards, but what you're looking at from other people is not victory point cards, but are raven cards. Or maybe it's the opposite way. So there's a little mind play going on here with this game, but it has just enough trick-taking to make it an enjoyable trick-taking game but not too much to take people out like Anthony. And yet at the same time, the card drafting is really interesting and different because at the start of the hand, you're going to get those five cards. You're going to pass three, which is weird, but that's not it. Then you pass two, and you're like, all right, so I'm starting to build a little bit of a hand here. And then finally you passed one. So because you're passing a different number of cards each turn, 
you are building tactically with an eye on a strategic play based upon where people are as far as victory points and health are concerned. So you're constantly thinking it's not just about playing one single set or building one particular hand. And yet at the same time, it keeps the game moving really quickly. It was a fast game. The artwork is nice. And uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so the game MSRP is for $30. At least that's what uh, Smirk and Dagger has the MSRP at right now. Uh, and at that price, I say that Nevermore is an absolute buyer. And right? I have no reservations about recommending pretty much everyone pick this up. It's light enough that your casual friends will be able to pick it up with enough strategic depth that even more experienced gamers will want to play it. We actually played multiple rounds in a row, which is something we very rarely get to do and something we very rarely choose to do with a with a game. Uh, you know, we'll play it multiple times, but to really just back-to-back, like, no, 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 I'm going to come and get you this time, right? I figured it <laughs> out now. I'm going to get you, right? And it's very good at building that attitude. So I think Nevermore is absolutely a buy. It's something that should be on your shelf. Yep, yeah, I agree, and it's uh, it, it really like it made us passionate. Like we had a moment where we had a disagreement on the reading of one card, and we had a heated conversation about that to the point that we were posting on the forums and following <laughs> up and posting in our Facebook group. But the game had that effect where we were that interested in it. And the thing I like about this game the most is that all of the Smirk and Dagger games have that take that element, and frequently it's a little too much. Not in, a, not in a way that makes the game bad, just in a way that makes it hard for me to bring it to the table with people that I typically play games with. Nevermore has that take that element, but in the same spirit as any trick-taking game or any like lighter card game, to the point where I would have no problem bringing this to the table with people I normally play games with, because it's all in good fun, and you're enjoying it, and uh, because when somebody dies or becomes a raven in this game... They're not out. There's really not that mean-spirited element that you get in some of those other games. It's just a great balance. For me, it's definitely a buy as well. Yeah, I think that this game reminds me in some ways of Diamonds, which was another trick-taking game that took trick-taking to the next level. And I think that Nevermore does this as well, especially having that Edgar Allan Poe kind of connection to this. I'm going to make a prediction here. I know that we haven't gotten to Essen yet, and we're nowhere near the end of the year. But I think Evermore is going to be an award-winning game. Next year, when the awards come out, hopefully Origins on top of things. But Nevermore is going to win an award for their card game this year. And it's going to, I think it's going to blow up. I think it's going to be a big game. I think it's going to be, it's going to, be, it's going to set a standard for uh, Smirk and Dagger. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that turned out to be true. I mean... It was certainly one of the darlings of Gen Con, right? I mean, Blood Rage was all the rage, but Nevermore got a huge amount of attention, and really for very good reason. It's it's an excellent game, and it's worth the attention it's being paid. All right, great. So, Anthony, what do you have for us this week? This is a game that was sent to us a little while back by a, a small, relatively new company out in Pennsylvania. I had not actually gotten a chance to play it, and then we stumbled across their booth at Gen Con, and they, they were very kind enough to show us you know, walk us through the game, Daniel and I, and kind of give us a rundown of how the game plays. And it's called Creative Clash. The reason I was so drawn to this game is because much like Chris, you, and CV, where this is something you do every day, and you're like, great, a game about my life, um, <laughs> Creative Clash was kind of a game about my life. I, I'm in marketing, and specifically I work in an, in an agency. So this game is about a marketing agency 
and the process of recruiting and training and then hopefully keeping quality, talented people on your marketing team and then completing projects with those people before competing agencies come and poach them away from you. The game is super light, very quick. The The basic idea is you, you're going to play cards from your hand and you're going to get money and then you're going to get so you're going to get money and then you're going to get ego and the goal is to get the ego up to i believe it's 20 and we played till 10 in our little um you know our sample game and the various cards that you play some of them will generate money each turn uh, so you have enough money to buy those different cards and put them out but when you put out new employees you're going to put skills on them and eventually you're going to get project cards or other cards that require certain numbers of skills that will then award you a certain amount of ego so it's a tableau builder it's a lot like munchkin in that you're kind of building out these characters and leveling them up and then using them basically to tackle these projects that require that certain amount of you know a skill level the interesting part, though, is that there are a lot of cards that allow you to really mess with the other players. Daniel played on me, like, super early in the game, a card that stole, I think, all of my guys just right off the bat. Which... Yeah, I feel kind of bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really, but, I, you know. Yeah, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit. I lost by a lot. It was, was it called? Creative Coup. So it was funny, but the card itself, I mean, it works well within a... Um, multiplayer game and really what happened was is i got off to a really quick start and then he stole my quick start and then we continued and he won but um the game was very quick it was very light and a little bit cutthroat but it kind of fits the theme of the game i do have the feeling that if you're not familiar with this world or at least a similar world in which you know this whole idea of individuals and skills and everything like like the game works well on its own but I think it works even better for me because the theme is so familiar to me and I find a lot of the cards very funny. The artwork is its not necessarily what you would expect, but it is sleek and modern to some degree. So it is, you know, it looks like it came out of a modern design agency, but it's not exactly like top tier artwork. But the game itself as a whole is very, it, it works very well together. So I had fun with it. I think we both had fun with it. And it's a game that I was surprised to enjoy as much as I did. Yeah, it was very enjoyable play for me. I mean, I'm obviously not as steeped in that world as you are. But nonetheless, I, I enjoyed that game. And I would probably play it again. Yeah, so Creative Clash is $30 MSRP. So it's, for what you get out of the box, I think that's a fair price. And for me, it's it's definitely a play. And if you are in this world, especially if your office is the type where you can bring games in and play them, as mine is, it's a buy. I think, you, you know, people in an agency or in marketing in general or design Really anything in that kind of realm of digital slash design work. They're really going to appreciate this kind of game. The game that Anthony and I got to the table with our friend Chris is The Voyages of Marco Polo. Now, this game is based in 1271 where Marco Polo, as a teen, is traveling with his father to a journey to China across the Silk Road. Now, this is your kind of classic Euro game. The artwork is beautiful. The graphic design is the artwork is beautiful. The graphic design is nicely displayed. You get this full map of Asia. And it's really a colorful, dynamic game. But when it comes to any type of Euro, it's about the gameplay. It's about the mechanics. So as you're making this journey, each player gets a different character card to start off the game. And it has a special power. Now, the powers somewhat break the game, which any good special power card will do, but it does add to different types of gameplay. So, 
you know, my card, I think it was the Kubla Khan's card, so I started on the opposite end of the map. Anthony had a card that was a, allowed him to move cheaply and easy and to have a secondary character. So every card did something different, and there's a large selection of cards, so not every card is going to come into play. Now, the different things that you can do typically are based around fulfilling orders. So one of the things that you can do in the game is you can purchase additional orders. When you start the game, you get two orders and your board only fits two, but you're able to knock out orders that are not working for you. Now, in order to fulfill those orders, which will give you money and victory points in this game, you'll be picking up resources like any good Euro game. Now, the resources in this game are camels, pepper, silk, and gold. Now, camels help you move across the board along with money, but they're also required to fulfill some of those orders. Now, there is a section of the board just put aside to these different resources. Now, the game is interesting because it's a Euro game that uses dice. Now, at the start of the round, you roll your dice, and depending on the pip, you're going to be able to do a number of different things. Now, as I said, with the resource area, depending on the resource you want to buy, you're going to have to assign a certain number of dice. So for camels, it's just one die. But as you move up and up to gold, gold is going to require three dice. And depending on the lowest number in that collection of, of dice, you're going to be able to take a certain number of resources. So let's say you had a six, six, and a five. Well, if you look on the chart for the gold, the five, and in this case, three gold and a free movement, is what you're going to be able to do. Now, you can also take anything lower than that, but usually the higher the number, the more resources you get. So now you have resources to help fulfill your orders, but that's not it. As you move around the board, and there is a movement section where you have to assign two dice, and once again, depending on the dice you assign, you'll be able to do a certain number of movements in addition to paying some cash. Now, here's a really fun and interesting thing about this game. Now, you would think that if you went and you took some resources or you took some movement or if you purchased some orders or were able to get some resources, that would be it, right? Because the spots were blocked off. But that's not it because there is an opportunity to place your dice there. But what you have to do is pay the cost of the highest die already standing there. So if there's a six there and you want to play yours, it's going to cost you six gold in order to place your dice there. So money is a really strange element in this game. You need it for the game, but it's not going to score you a lot of victory points at the end of the game. So you're moving around to these different areas on the map, these different famous cities, and you're gaining special abilities, special resources that will benefit you each turn as you're able to complete these orders and hopefully be able to complete these travel cards that will score you end victory points depending on how many cities you're able to that match your cards. So once again, get your orders, get your resources, travel to different cities in order to get special bonuses and abilities. And at the end of five rounds, the person with the most victory points wins the game. I really enjoyed this game. I was glad to see a Euro that had some dice elements to it, some color elements to it, and still at the same time 
had some challenging analysis paralysis moments where you had to kind of make a decision whether or not you're going to pay those costs in order to get the resources you need. But yet at the same time, it didn't lock you down and lock you out of the game. What'd you guys think about it? Yeah, this game was fantastic. I mean, I picked it up almost sight unseen just because the description I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is totally accurate, but the description I read was Kingsburg meets Terra Mystica, which was like, what? I need to own this. <laughs> I don't think it's quite Kingsburg meets Terra Mystica. I think it has dice placement and it has asymmetrical powers, which both of those games have. But it's its own beast almost. It's very interesting. It's very tight, too. The resource management in this is extremely tight. It, several times I found myself running out of resources. You cannot do everything. The asymmetrical power you get at the beginning of the game pretty much decides for you, to some degree, the direction you're going to go strategically. It doesn't choose your strategy, so that's a good thing, because games that kind of tell you what your strategy is based on the starting elements are not good. But it drives you in a certain direction. I, for example, ignored my direction for about two rounds and was not traveling nearly as much as I should have. And when I realized I wasn't, I started traveling more and my points started going up significantly. In the end, I did not win the game at all, but I would have done much better. And I did pretty decently, but I would have done much better if I, you know, realized early on that, okay, I have the ability to move not only more, but in two different directions, which is very hard to do in this game. Uh, I should take advantage of that. That makes it interesting because it means every time you play, you're going to have a different angle you're coming from. I don't know how they play tested this. I don't know how they made sure it was balanced, but it is. It, it's extremely balanced. Everything works out very well. And as a result, it's a lot of fun because there's so many interesting decisions to be made. Um, and anytime you have dice and all these different ways to mitigate what the dice rolls are, uh, it, you know it's not going to be too samey. And that just really brings that worker placement element to a whole nother level, which makes this game really, really fun. So it's a buy for me. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's a buy for me as well. I thought it was going to be pretty dry, but it was pretty dynamic, and the dice rolls really make things tight and interesting. And it almost breaks your brain, but not so much. There's a lot of good things to do. It's not a point salad game, but as long as you're keeping your eyes kind of focused on building those orders, I think you're in pretty good shape, and it seems like there's a lot of options for that. Because the benefits of the cities are different in each game, and because the special player powers are different in each game, this game has a high replayability value. And now, BGA's feature review. So for our feature review this week, we have, if you like Munchkin, try out these games. Now, for these games, we're talking about mechanics, theme, and genre that actually go above and beyond the original Munchkin. So maybe there were some elements to Munchkin that you really enjoyed, but you really wanted to take it to the next level. You wanted to take those mechanics, you wanted to take out that humor, you wanted to take out those themes, and you wanted to try to find other games that had the genius of Munchkin, but on a next level game. Now, we're talking about this week because Munchkin is going to be celebrating its 15th anniversary in 2016 and will be releasing their guest artist editions for all of their different genre pieces. Now, Munchkin, if you've been living under a rock, is a game by Steve Jackson Games and has sold over 7 million copies worldwide. 
and really has been the tentpole game for Steve Jackson games that puts out a number of different games. Now, in particular, Munchkin is a very light tableau building game in which you're going to play cards to kind of play a humorous mock type of dungeon dive in which you're building a character with different wacky weapons and puns and funny kind of crazy things or you're going to be playing one of the other different genre games where it's munchkin bites it's munchkin booty it's munchkin in outer space it's super munchkin so there's just kind of like an endless number of munchkin themes but the gameplay is always the same wacky fun hijinks take that try to get to level 10 in order to win the game you're beating back the monsters you're stealing the treasures and most of all munchkin is about stabbing your buddies in the back just when they thought they won the game so for this week we're going to talk about three elements that make munchkin great and where you can find those elements in other games daniel why don't you start us off all right, Chris. Well, for me, when I think about Munchkin, the thing that really draws me to Munchkin and has in the past is that it's just a silly game. And, you know, sometimes you're just not up for something, you know, gray and bleak and you know, <laughs> building up some medieval town after the plague has moved through <laughs> by carefully positioning your workers. And in other words, you don't want to play a Euro. <laughs> so when you go. don't feel like playing a Euro, uh, going for the sort of silly, goofy theme of Munchkin is, is, you know, a nice relief of that sometimes from games that take themselves too seriously. Uh, so the first game that comes to mind as a game that doesn't take itself seriously at all is Flux. Now, Flux, the, most of you probably have heard of and probably have played even, is a card game with changing rules. And that's really what characterizes it the most, is that as you play through the game, not only things like the wind condition will change, but the way you play and draw cards will change. Uh, and since the game is constantly changing over time, it provides a lot of hectic fun. It's also quite like Munchkin in that it has a theme for everything. It has a dress for every party. There's Star Flux, my personal favorite. There's Cthulhu Flux. There's everything Flux. Do note that Flux is a really, it's a pretty random game. It's, it's not one you should take too seriously. But if you like Munchkin, I don't think you're going to have trouble liking Flux. It has that very same approach to gaming, which is, you know, maybe if you're getting upset about this... Maybe, just maybe, you're taking it too seriously. And like Munchkin, I think Flux gets a lot of flack it doesn't deserve because people don't understand what it's going for. And I think it is a pretty darn good game, actually. Yeah, it has all the genres, just like Munchkin. All the wackiness that goes on there can be found in both games. Absolutely. Uh, so the next one that jumps to mind is another attempt to grasp in a sort of silly package that wide range of skins, that wide range of costumes that the game can wear. There, the one that comes to mind is Smash Up in all of its various expansions. Smash Up, like Munchkin, is a card-driven, uh, charismatic, goofy game. Uh, what you're trying to do there is put enough points on bases to quote-unquote bust them, and then you gain points for them based upon your rank relative to other players on that base. Most of you have probably played Smash Up. It's a good time. It's also a bit meatier than Munchkin. So where Flux is really buying into the, oh, you want to play something like silly and fun? Here we go. Let's play silly and fun. Um, Smash Up is moving closer towards what you might think of as more serious hobby games. 
Smash Up involves a slightly more complex strategy. Uh, not slightly. Smash Up involves more complex strategic decisions and tactical decisions and has a far greater number of play possibilities than either Munchkin or Flot. Uh, and it's just a great game, so it's great second step to take from Munchkin. And since I can't go a whole episode without talking about a role-playing game, I think I'm contractually obligated, right? Yep. Uh, That's what the, the contract says. Yeah, That's okay. why you're on, man. That's, That's why, why I'm here. Uh, the obvious and simple answer for if you like Munchkin, what role-playing game to play? At first, it's like, oh, Paranoia. Paranoia captures that same goofy, you know, beat em up take their stuff mentality. And it does. Paranoia, excellent game. But there's actually a Munchkin role-playing game. It's a little weird that they didn't pop to my head first. So you could just play the Munchkin role-playing game. That might be cheating, though, so if you don't count that answer, go for Paranoia. Both of these games capture that same sort of silly, action-centered, beat-em-up-and-take-their-stuff mentality of the Munchkin card game in a role-playing game, which is kind of a strange moment. You know, have you ever taken a phrase and put it into Google Translate, translated it into another language, and then translated it back into English and gotten something a little weird? It's kind of what happens with the Munchkin RPG, because Munchkin, the card game, was of course meant to capture the atmosphere of certain types of role-playing games. And then being brought back into being a role-playing game, you get this sort of copy of a copy thing. But it's still a lot of fun, and still worth giving a shot if you are willing to accept it for what it is and not expect any dark, brooding villains or, you know, heroic plot lines where you save the world from, you know... masterminds engineering a pure genetic race, right? That's not going to happen in Munchkin. If they do, it's going to be a race of, like, talking rubber ducks or something. Uh-huh, uh, it's just, uh-huh. That's just how it plays out. Yeah, duh. <laughs> Chris yeah, is right? very interested. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's worth giving a shot. So those are my recommendations. If you like Munchkin, try Flux, Smash Up, and the Munchkin RPG or Paranoia if you don't count Munchkin RPG. Anthony, what about you? What mechanic or theme are you taking on? All right. So I was going to get super lazy and just list off all the things that Munchkin has basically hijacked in the last two years. Munchkin Smash Up, Munchkin Loot Letter, Munchkin the Castle Panic. Castle Panic, yeah. Yeah. But I figured, why not actually take this seriously? Because you can find those. Probably, if you like Munchkin, you've already seen all those games. And we talk about the thematic element of Munchkin. I mean, that's kind of one of the major parts of this game, is that it draws heavily from the theme of, as Daniel said, those old-school RPGs, and kind of makes, you know, has a little fun with it. But at the same time, it is kind of engrossing. Like, all those... The artwork is very evocative. The text is whether it's being silly or not, which it generally is, is calling to mind all of those RPG tropes that you're used to. And if you're playing a different version of Munchkin, then it's doing the same thing to whatever genre you're playing with. So theme is a huge part of the game. So for me, there's a lot... I mean, if we're talking about thematic games, the list is very, very long. You just Any Americlash game kind of covers the bases. But uh, I wanted to pull out a couple that I felt really kind of captured that and had kind of the uh, flexible elements that Munchkin does as a game. The first one is, it's an older game, but it's been revamped recently, and it's a lot of people's favorite. It gets talked about a lot. It has a ton of expansions, so it's super replayable, and that's Cosmic Encounter. Cosmic Encounter has some similar elements to Munchkin. It has a little bit of take that, but it's not quite as pointed, whereas in Munchkin, you're singling out who you're going to mess with, and really it's just whoever is going to beat you, so you want to make sure you stay in the lead. Cosmic Encounter has that deck element where it's 
the game decides for you who you're going to mess with, who you're going to attack. But the cooperative element, the ability to jump in with other people, the ability to not necessarily, as in, you know, in Munchkin, you're not necessarily going to win together, but you can definitely rise up the ranks with each other, has a lot of those same elements. It's a lot of goofy fun. The theme doesn't really change necessarily, but it's extremely strong. And there are so many expansions that you can play as one of, I don't even know how many aliens at this point, a couple hundred, I think. Super deep game for that reason. Another one that came out really recently that kind of takes theme and really, really, really grabs it hard is Dead of Winter. And this one kind of makes the list for a couple of reasons. First off, one of the most thematic games of the last year by far. I voted for it for uh, most thematic game for the Dice Tower Awards, and I definitely think it earns that because it really evokes the feel of what it's trying to do. Second off, you can kind of throw in the crossroads system here because that system, much like Munchkin, is basically this core mechanic on which you can dump all sorts of theme so we already know that the next one coming out is going to be the uh you know lost in space style game you know using that same crossroad system but with a completely different theme and this could go on ad nauseum forever as long as they have decent ideas and a designer willing to blow that game system up and use it in different thematic elements. So a little bit more serious for sure, but if you're looking for something super thematic and you get to mess with people a little bit, Dead of Winter is definitely the game to go with. One more game, and really it's a game system, honestly, and it's gotten a a little bit of revival recently, but the original wasn't really down and out yet, and that's Imperial Assault slash Descent. Uh, This formula, which has been used now in three different game systems, is the you have that kind of overlord or empire just you have the bad guy versus everybody else element of the game and there's a little bit of cooperative element here but the whole game it just immerses you in theme you're basically playing star wars or you're playing through this epic fantasy adventure in descent and it's whatever theme you like the option is there to play it uh between the two games and they're extremely expandable. There's so much stuff coming out for them. Imperial Assault's less than a year in at this point. It already has one full expansion, another one on the way, and like 15 character packs out. Uh, Descent, you know, God help you if you get into it now, you're, you're about 15 expansions behind because there's so much stuff out there for this game. Uh, if you want heavily, heavily thematic games where you really feel like you're in the action and every component of the game draws you into that... Uh, these two games kind of get that job done, depending on which theme you like. If you like classic fantasy, you got Descent. If you like a little bit more space opera, fantasy sci-fi, you got Imperial Assault. A little bit of everything there for you. And again, a little bit heavier than Munchkin, but if you like your theme, if that's the reason you're playing Munchkin, these are the games that you want to look at. All right, great. So the element that I want to talk about this week in relation to Munchkin is the take that mechanic. Now, you're probably familiar with this in Americlash type of games. And basically what it comes down to is that you're playing cards or taking actions that directly attack a player's strength, level, life points, or something else that they're trying to build and put together. Now, some games have elements of this. Munchkin, it's a major part of the game. Besides putting together that tableau and slapping down monsters and 
and stealing gold and treasure, you are playing cards against other people. So that little hand of cards is meant to keep your other adventurers down at a lower level so you can come out on top. So the first game, which is the lighter of the three games, is Cheaty Mages. Now, we talked about this previously. It's a small card game from Seijay Kanai, and basically what you're doing in this game is it's a competition, a race. And when the game starts out, you're going to have these different mythological creatures on the board, and you are going to decide which of these creatures you're going to bet on. And once the game starts, you're going to play cards against the other creatures that you don't want to win to kind of slow them down. You're going to play different magical spells. You're going to be playing spells against the judges, spells against other players in order to slow them down, to stop them so that you can win the game. What makes Cheaty Mages a next level game in comparison to Munchkin when it comes to the take that mechanic is that these cards that you're playing directly affect the final score, the final value of each of the different plays instead of just playing cards against another player that can be neutralized and wiped out and really didn't have much of an effect. But these cards dramatically affect the game. Now, the next game I want to talk about is The Agents. Now, The Agents is really interesting because, once again, just like Munchkin, you're building this tableau, and you have all of these different characters lined up against your opponents, and then you're going to play cards that are going to switch around your agents, attack and knock out other agents, put your agents in better spots to score more victory points, and then win the game. So, once again, the take that element is more strategic, the cards are more tactical on what they do that particular round, and depending on your hand of cards, you can strategically play them to build a strategy to win the game. Now, finally, the best kind of take that mechanic that you probably don't think a lot of is Dominaire. Now, in Dominaire, it's an area control game in the Tempest universe in which you're building a tableau of characters that have special abilities. Instead of playing cards that actually attack other players, the tableau that you're building are going to have special effects that are going to trigger at certain times. You may have a character that has a special ability that shuts down other nobles or shuts down other politicians or assassinates other cards or steals money from other cards. This is the highest version of the take that mechanic in which the tableau is built so elegantly to kind of chain off each other so that you can shut down your opponents, grab area control, and then win the game. A beautiful, beautiful version of the take that mechanic in Munchkin and elegantly played out in Dominaire and my highest recommendation for that take that mechanic. So if you take a look back at Munchkin over these last soon to be 15 years, there's so much fun, especially John Kovalik's artwork that makes Munchkin so outstanding. But for us, we want you to take a look at the humor We want you to take a look at the thematic elements, and we want you to take a look at the take that type of mechanics that make Munchkin the award-winning and worldwide success that it is today. But don't forget, take it to the next level with these nine different games. Final round. All right, so for our final round this week, you may have noticed 
that something's missing from this episode. It's tend to be about six foot something, and it's kind of noticeably missing from this week. So for our final round this week, gentlemen, where is Drew? Daniel, why don't you start us off? Uh, you know, he's got a penchant for getting up on tabletop, so I think he's going to be on a table somewhere. Maybe maybe we'll be able to coax him down with some cookies or something, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm betting on a tabletop. Okay, somewhere on a tabletop. All right, Anthony, what about you? Well, I mean, he also likes rondelles. Maybe he found a really big one and he just, he's been stuck on it for a while. Doesn't want to get off, honestly. <laughs> we might need even more cookies for that. Well, mine is probably the most disturbing. We know that we know that Drew's taking care of a very large game collection right now, and we know how much of a fan he is of Smash Ups. I'm kind of worried that that library may have smashed up a little bit and kind of found Drew in the middle of it. So. Drew, wherever you are, whether it's on a tabletop, a rondelle, or in between a smash-up of games, we miss you. Come back to the podcast, buddy. Come back. (laughs) We need news. (laughs) All right, so that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, where you can find out everything about our four previous opportunities to enter the Cool Stuffing Contest our guild on Board Game Geek, which is this week's opportunity to enter the contest, our Patreon account, where you can support us to produce more podcasts, videos, and content in order to help our board gaming industry. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Until then, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. And we'll save you a seat at the table that is unless the munchkin comes along and steals it because that's what munchkins do you think you have something and then it's gone and it's funny i guess tell us it's funny that's what they do i don't know how funny it is. <laughs> well this week they stole drew so that's true that wasn't funny at all 